This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Hour two is on the horizon. Top of the hour, Shana Goldman stops by from the Athletic, a tour around a couple of different leagues, the NHL and the PWHL as well. In the meantime, we turn our attention to the Colorado Avalanche and maybe Hart Trophy winner this year, Nathan McKinnon, maybe Selkie Trophy to Valeri Nachushkin. Corey Massasak has thoughts on all of these things, including tonight's matchup between the Colorado Avalanche and the Dallas Stars. He writes for the Denver Post, and he joins me now. Corey, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. I loved your piece on Valeri Nachushkin. Now, I'm biased because I've liked Valeri Nachushkin for a long time. I think you and I have discussed Valeri Nachushkin a, a couple of different times. Um, you know, the power forward... The power forward moniker is a different one because if you're a certain vintage, when you hear the word power forward, the term power forward, one thinks of Cam Neely and Rick Tockett and these types of players, you know, put up 250 penalty minutes and score 40 goals. That's what the power forward is. Kevin Stevens, there's another one that comes to mind. How do you go about defining Valeri Nachushkin as maybe the best power forward in the NHL today? Yeah, you know what? It's funny. Whenever I was talking to um, a couple of his teammates about this, I like well, I was talking to Miko Rantanen, and I said, "Look, you know, I know that we used to think of power. Whenever you'd think of power forwards, yeah, I used Cam Neely as the example. It was like, look, he's got to fight, he's got to hit, yeah. and like, you know, Val doesn't do it either of those things. But I think that really all three of those guys, right, like Nachuskin, Rantanen, and McKinnon, all kind of fit this like modern day version where." They don't run around looking to hit people, but like you know the um, the Sharks defenseman uh, Emerson who tried to take a run at Nate McKinnon the other night found yeah. out like how powerful he is <laughs> whenever he wants to be. And so yeah. I do think I think really the thing with Nachuskin is look you know he's been this like you know two way guy his whole career you know he was underrated for a long time and then he blew up uh, kind of around the time that they went and won the cup and. You know, I think the the biggest thing for him is like that he's, you know, he doesn't he doesn't you don't think he plays like a real physical game, but then like you see him like drive the net and two guys bounce off of him like they're you know, like they're little kids or something, and it's like those are the the elements yeah. of his game. Like he's I think he's become one of the best players in the league at just standing around the net, and um, you know I think it's like 16 of his 19 goals this year are from the high danger area. Like he just uh, you know he does all of the things that you would think a power forward from the eighties or nineties does, except he doesn't, you know, he doesn't throw punches. He doesn't like go try to ram people through the boards, but whenever he's along the boards, yeah. nobody can get the puck off of him. And that's, that's kind of the big, you know, that's like one of the biggest assets that he has. You know, when we think about the avalanche and I'm with, listen, I'm with you on, on Nichushkin. I think that, you know, for years he was a sort of sneaky, good undercover Selkie candidates, um, clearly had his sort of mainstream coming out party when the, the, um, the avalanche had their Stanley cup run. And since then the secret has been out on, you know, just how good Valeria Nichushkin is, uh, just like the secret has been out for a long time about how good Nathan McKinnon is, but I don't know that we've seen him play this well, uh, perhaps ever uh, in the NHL. There are, there's obviously talk of a uh, Hart Trophy. Uh, there's talk about the Avalanche and another Stanley Cup run. I still think they need at least one more piece. I want to get to that with you in a couple of seconds here, Corey. Uh, but your thoughts on the season that Nathan McKinnon is having. Like It always seems like at least once or maybe twice in every Avalanche game, 
I don't know that he has like a button on his pants that, you know, Nathan McKinnon just presses and he goes into beast mode and grabs the puck and just says, enough of this. I'm just going to go score a goal. And he does it. Your thoughts on uh, Nathan McKinnon's game this year, Hart Trophy candidate. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, look, the first story that I wrote, like the day, the start of the, it was either the start of training camp or the start of the regular season. It was like a big mm-hmm. kind of like takeout story. And it was all about, like this is the part of Nathan McKinnon's career where it's like legacy building time. Like he's got a cup. He's, you know, universally considered yep. one of the best players in the world, but like for him to get to where he wants to be, you know, compared to some of the people he wants to be compared with, he needs some other, you know, he, for him personally, he just wants to win more cups, but for people outside of him, you know, he needs to maybe win another award or two. And so, you know, it's, it's, it was, but it was, all, that was also in contrast, contrasted to the idea that like it's entirely possible that Connor McDavid will just win that thing four more times in the next four or five years. So, you know, it was like at the beginning of the season, it was like, well, you know, he might need McDavid to have kind of an off year. And through the first 20 or 25 games, it was like, Hey, wait a minute. Like the Hart trophy might be open this year. And so, um, yeah, I mean, look, he, you know, he got off to a slow start by his standards, but really since I think he's at like, 51 points in his last 28 games or some, something ridiculous. Um, and yeah, yeah, he's just been, uh, <laughs> like, you know, he kind of downplays some of the, some of those, like some of those new, like NHL edge stats. Like he, you know, he, he travels the most of any player in the league. He has the puck on his stick, the most of any player. He puts that all down to just the fact that he's the, he's the drop guy on the power play. And so, he does like I mean their power play is ridiculous and it is an almost entirely because yeah. their zone entry percentage is like near a hundred percent because he just they Kale McCarr drops in the puck and he gets it in the zone and that's how it works. But you're right, there's there are just yeah. things that he there are things that he does on the ice that I, that there's really only one other guy in the league that can do it. And you know, it's the guy at Edmonton that we've been talking about. So um yeah, he yeah. has been there was like a part of the season where it was like first it was Miko Rantanen was the best player on the team, and then there was a part where there was Gail McCarr, and now it's now it's Nate's turn, and only mm-hmm. Nate's turn has been a little bit longer than the other two. You know, I, th- I think we look at Nathan McKinnon much in the same way we look at some centers like uh, Stastny, Iserman, Howard Chuck in their era, in that they were just caught playing in, in an era where Wayne Gretzky was holding, was handing the torch. Uh, to Mario Lemieux, much like in this era, the center torch goes from Sidney Crosby to Connor McDavid. And there's all these other guys, as I mentioned in the previous generation, uh, Stastny, Eiserman, and Howard Chuck, uh, who would have been the best centers in the league at their time. But the problem was they were playing either underneath the uh, the umbrella or under the shadow of Wayne Gretzky or under the shadow of Mario Lemieux. Does it feel that way with McKinnon? That like this transition went from Crosby to to uh to the guy in Edmonton who skates faster than everybody and kind of, you know, left in the dust a little bit here is Nathan McKinnon. Yeah, I think that's that's sort of where I was going with it at the beginning of the year. Like his you know, the idea of what his legacy is gonna be in the NHL will mostly be defined by his winning. Um and so like Right, I, th- I think Eiserman and Joe Sackett were the two guys that I kind of used as examples of like they were maybe never the best player. Although I think what Sackett did win one heart, um, they were they're, they were not necessarily considered like the best player of their generation, but they won a lot. And look, there's you know there's like all but maybe ten or twelve players in the history of the NHL would love to have had Stevie Eiserman's career, right? <laughs> so, so like, and even whenever I brought oh, that yeah. up to, to McKinnon, he was like, well, you know, oh man, I, you know that would be you know. Steve Eiserman is one of the best players of all time. That would be crazy to be you know, compared to him. So, you know, he he doesn't, 
he has a very like kind of straight line view on this. Like he hasn't won enough to be compared to Sid or mm-hmm. uh, you know Eiserman or any of those guys. So like he doesn't want to talk about any of that until he wins more Stanley Cups, which you know might happen here in a relatively short fashion. So if the Avs are going to do that this year, and listen, there's some really good teams in the West, and the Stanley Cup lives in the West. Thank you very much. Um, what do they still need? Like we keep saying that they need, you know, another goal scorer. They need someone to uh, put pucks in the nets. Uh, maybe they need to address a second line center position. They thought that answer would be Ryan uh, Johansson. What do the Avalanche need still between now and trade deadline? Yeah, I think. They definitely need one more forward. Look, they they they, they added guys like Tomas Tatar and Jonathan Duran as like low cost um, guys with some high higher upside. Duran has really worked out. Tatar didn't, and he's now in Seattle. So like just physically, like they they need one more forward for sure that can play in the top six or the top nine. Um, the thing is, I think they need to wait and see. They probably, I think they need they think this too that they need to wait and see what it looks like once Artari Lekkinen gets back. He's a huge part of all this. He's like. Yeah. Very similar to Nachuskin in his style of play and kind of the Swiss Army knife, knife nature. But I do think, you know, they need one more. They they need one more forward for sure. If it could be a center, that would be ideal. It doesn't. They don't have to necessarily replace Ryan Johansson as the second line center, but they need another guy that can play. Like, yeah. you know, Johansson hasn't been perfect as the, as the two as the two C, and Ross Colton hasn't been perfect as the three C. So if they could add one more guy that could maybe push one of them to the wing or just, just to give them an option. Because like the other thing is like when one of those guys doesn't play, uh, they just don't really have the depth at that position to, to, you know, to, to think they'd have any sort of run in them. So, I mean, I, the, I mean, the other thing is like the big thing that I've sort of been wrestling with recently is there are so many guys here from the 2022 run and they all know what it takes yep. to get there. And that's like a big strength for them. But they, I think some of them also compare themselves to that 2022 team and like, no team in the NHL right now is as good as that 2022 Avalanche team. Like, they're just, I mean, that team was crazy good. Yeah. So it's like they're striving for a standard that this current group might not be able to get to, but they also might not need to either. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting point. Um, real quick, a couple of minutes left with you. Tonight it is Colorado and Dallas. Um, and the Central, like the Central Division is fascinating. The top three teams uh, separated by three points. Uh, Avs on top, Dallas in third, and in their last 10 games, Dallas and Colorado have identical records, and that record is almost identical to what the Winnipeg has. Those other two teams have a record of 7-2-1, and one. Winnipeg's at 7-1-2. and two. How do you differentiate between these three squads? Well, I, I certainly came into the year thinking that Dallas was going to be the biggest challenger, and really, like... Looking yeah. over the next three to five years, it's it's like it's going to be one of those teams in this division, probably. Um, look, they um, you know they they didn't play very well either time that they played Winnipeg. Not that I, I don't put a ton of stock in. Like if they saw them in April, it'd be like, oh no, they didn't play well against them. Yeah. But uh, they did play. They played not great against Dallas for the first half of the game, and then they just steamrolled them in a way that was like maybe the most impressive period period and a half they played all year. So uh, yeah, I mean Dallas is definitely the like I kind of look at them. You know, I, Winnipeg's having a great year, but I it would it would be surprising to me if it isn't Colorado or Dallas that gets to you know the, the conference finals from this division. So this is a you know they're 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 pretty similar teams. Like there's there there's not a whole lot of separate. I think you know Colorado's back end is a little bit better, but Dallas is deeper up front. Um, so, you know, so you know it, it, it would definitely be a fascinating series if those two teams end up facing each other in you know late April or early May.
Absolutely. Uh, Corey, this has been great, uh, as always. Uh, look forward to catching up again about the Avalanche. You be well. Happy New Year. Uh, health and happiness to you and your family in 24. Thanks so much for stopping by, as always. Yeah, thanks for having me. Anytime. Uh, Corey Massasak covers the uh, Colorado Avalanche for uh, the Denver Post. Uh, time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. And speaking of the Avalanche, do you have Colorado on your mind, Matt Marchese? Or do you have uh, cold remedies and uh, hot tea and lemons um, and neocitrin on your mind? I'm I'm going to bed dreaming of all the peppermint teas that I'm going to have during the day, Jeff, to try and clear up whatever the heck this is. I know, but feeling? I do. Uh, I'm grinding it out. I know it sounds really, you know, like oh, you're being a suck. Like it just when I walk up the stairs, I have I can't breathe. Like there's no like I I can't breathe out of my nose, yeah. so it's not ideal. Um, it's far from ideal. And when you have to talk mm. on the radio, it's even less than ideal. So trying yeah. to get through this, so I can be it's back tough, in the shop tomorrow. But we'll see. Uh, okay. Avalanche okay. at the Stars. Don't this be for me is the marquee matchup tonight. Uh, puck line yep. is Stars minus one and a half. Colorado is four and one against the puck line in the last five games against Dallas. The over is hit in Dallas's last five home games, and Dallas has won six of their last seven at home. So this is a fascinating one. Just talked to Corey Massasak a second ago about, amongst other things, Nathan McKinnon should have pointed out he was a player of the month in the NHL for that uh, that month. Um, he's had a tremendous season. Colorado have won five of their last six games. And right now, the Avalanche are on a really, really tough run. They've got Dallas tonight, and they're back at home for three. And you want to talk about welcoming back a murderer's robe. They've got Florida. They've got Boston. And then they've got Vegas. Not exactly a secret that Vegas and Colorado do not like each other. After that, they'll face off against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, elsewhere for the Dallas Stars, you know, one of the questions around that team is, what do you do with Matt Deshane? He's worked out so fantastic so far for Dallas. You want to extend him, but can you? What's the number, and does he want term? And by the way, we talk a lot about Makara. We talk a lot about Quinn Hughes. Miro Haskinen very much having a Norris Trophy-type season for the Dallas Stars. That was Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local. That is one of 13 games on the board in the NHL. Tonight, we'll talk about a bunch more with Shana Goldman from The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. That's coming up, Merrick Show, Hour 2. Keep it here. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Coming up, item of the hour, we'll get on the um, Seattle Kraken page. These suddenly good... Seattle Kraken paid. Whatever happened to that team that like went eight the wrong way like five minutes ago? And it's not just a Winter Classic win. This team is on a little bit of a roll here. Allison Lucan from uh, the Too Many Men podcast, amongst other things, will uh, stop by. But speaking of that podcast, one of the co-hosts on it is also a writer for The Athletic. And you have heard and seen her here before. She is the one and only Shana Gold- Goldman. And she joins me now. Shana, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. And thanks for the too many men block. Like talk about some amazing sponsorship. I'm a, uh, I'm a podcaster myself who looks to share the love with fellow podcasters. So we like to butter the bread on both sides when it comes to podcaster, Shana. Yeah. As we have to, right. We have to support each other. This lowly podcast, you have 32 thoughts. Like it needs all the help it can get. 
<laughs> yeah, we don't get enough promo. <laughs> we, don't, we don't get enough rub uh, around these parts. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, one of the things, I mean, this was a huge week. I don't want to say this is a w- huge week for women's hockey because I think this is a huge week for hockey. I've always made the point that if you're a fan of hockey, then you're a fan of both games on the, the men's and the women's side as well. Otherwise, just say you're a fan of men's hockey. Um, this was a great <laughs> week for hockey. The industry grew. The whole hockey industry grew. And the one thing that we've learned so far three games in is it's bad to play at home if you play in this league, Shana. What gives Minnesota handing it to Boston yesterday after New York handed it to Toronto and Montreal handed it to Ottawa? Well, I mean, from that, I take that maybe we were right to have some initial concerns about Toronto and it's one game and I don't want to be like over dramatic here, but I just constantly look at that roster and think, Elena Mueller was right there with the second overall pick as much as I love Jocelyn Lorac. But no, it's it's really interesting just to see how this league's going to shake out, right? Because it's something we haven't seen before. It is best on best. We're getting stars from all over the world. And each team has different strategies, right? Like we're seeing a team like Ottawa, who obviously they went up against Montreal and you see Marie-Philippe Poulin and Anne Renee Dabian. You see some of the best players in the world. And then for Ottawa, you have these players that had superstar roles when they were at the college level, but maybe were more role players with the national teams. And they're getting a chance now to be the superstar player for their own team. So it's just so much intrigue yeah. that we're going to you know, learn so much more as these games go on. But I think they've gotten off to great starts so far. I thought Emirates Mashmeyer was excellent in that Ottawa-Montreal game as well, as much as you talk about Anne-Renée Desbiens. Uh, and she was good. And Ottawa really carried the play uh, primarily in that game. But I thought that Mashmeyer was excellent uh, in that for Ottawa as well. You know, why has... Because we've seen plenty of women's leagues before. Why has this one garnered so much attention and curiosity? Is it just because, you know, the PWHPA story of, you know, all the elite athletes from the Canadian and and American national teams, you know, holding out to build this thing? Is it just because this is finally a properly funded league? Uh, All the superstar names are in this league all in one place. Why is this one, you know, captured imagination like women's leagues in the past haven't? I think it's a little bit of everything, right? I think from the national level, I think there's such a rec- like a, a recognition of who some of the superstars are. Everybody knows Hillary Knight. Everybody knows Marie Philippe Everyone knows Sarah yeah. Fillier, who we expect to join the league in a year. You know, those are the names that have captured and captivated our attention. So that helps. I think the PWHPA story definitely resonated with people. I think the PHF story the last few years and the NWHL before that resonated. But there was so much confusion before that. I think if you were the casual hockey fan, so often we heard yeah. excuses of, I don't know who to watch. I don't know who to follow. I don't know how to watch or follow. And that's a big part of it, too. Broadcasts weren't done properly at all times or, you know, wasn't made accessible. How many times were we watching U18s off doorbell cameras? So to put all the pieces together and yeah. take... I don't want to say the time because it was on such a fast timeline, but to put the effort into this best on best league to get so many players to buy in and to really give a promising future. Mm -hmm. We're watching games on cable now. They're easily accessible in the U.S. on YouTube. There's, you know, different platforms for Canadians to watch. I think it's a culmination of everything. And it's at the right time because we've all been so captivated by them at the national level the last few years, too, because the rivalries are, you know, at an all time high between our two favorites, U.S. and Canada. Are you surprised at how physical it is? Like this is this it. is a league where you know, and and Jana Hefford has, has mentioned this. Like it, it's not so much that the women don't want to hit; it's just like the officiating standard in a lot of these leagues and a lot of these international games has been so inconsistent. Players are almost encouraged not 
two hits. But the one thing that stands out, I think, for a lot of people, you know, if you've never watched a women's game before, is just how aggressive and how how much body contact there is and how much nastiness there is like i know this doesn't surprise you uh, at all but for casual fans that are just dropping in to see what this is all about one of the initial takeaways is you know these teams hammer each other out there yeah and i think for the casual fan that has caught women's hockey they've caught it at the international level and we know at the international level for men's for juniors for women it's not as physical. It can't be. The rules are much more stringent. So now you're seeing it loosen up, and, it, and the yeah. players want it to be looser. You know, in the past, you would see a USA-Canada game, and you would see the players going head-to-head -head and really going at it. Now you're seeing checks all over the place, and I, I personally love it um, because it's 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 taking away any more arguments that anyone could have, right? I think at the end of the day, if you're mm -hmm. finding reasons to not watch women's hockey, whether it's I don't know how to watch it, I don't know who to support, or it's not physical enough or anything else, you're just saying you don't like women's hockey. But I love that they're taking everything away out of that argument. So that's what it really just boils down to if you still have that view. Do you think they should have waited until they had logos and names to start the league? I mean, this is very much a player-driven, uh, no, you know, we, we, we just need to get this thing going. Let's worry about the logos and the names later. Uh, which side of the fence are you on? Wait for the perfect presentation or just get started and worry about names and logos later? That's a tough one. I don't think that they should have waited to if they waited another year right that's a year of some top players primes you're losing it's another year yep. on the back burner nobody wants to see that i think if you want to capture momentum you have to start sooner than later having said that having the branding and the recognition of a name of a logo from day one is huge we know look at the nhl's recent expansions right the Golden Knights, everybody knew them before they even started playing. The Kraken, it's better than yeah. just team names. You're saying PWHL Boston as, as as a reference for it. If you just say Boston, it's going to get lost in the shuffle because there's a million other Boston teams. And that's the one unfortunate part of it. Right. And, you know, for merch sales, too, if you want to see someone out there in a Kendall Coin Schofield jersey tomorrow, Minnesota jersey, like someone might be waiting to buy that until there's a team name and logo. And rightfully so, right? You're going to be spending the money again in a year if not. So from that perspective, mm. I definitely think it's it's the biggest miss that they've had. But if they were planning to have those six names that were leaked out there and, the you know, the public reaction <laughs> kind of gave them pause, then yeah. I think they did the right thing because it's better to have good names than whatever those six suggestions were. I don't know, man. The Wicked was pretty cool. No. <laughs> Did not no. like the Boston Wicked. I I personally don't like the Minnesota Wild. Like I I don't even like that as much. I like names that can be plural off the bat. It feels weird. But like the Echo. Oh, you're one of those. You're one of those. Come on. Shana. Oh wow, wow. The Miami Heat not having it, eh? I mean, the Miami Heat is a cooler one. I'll give you that. But it, the names underwhelm me. The only <laughs> one that I was like, okay, you have my attention to a point was the New York Sound yeah. because. They're playing in Connecticut, and the sound separates them. It's cheesy. It kind of works, but yeah. no. <laughs> All right. Well, um, we're staying very much on top of this here, and you guys are staying on top of it as well. So more on the uh, PWHL in, in shows to come and more games coming up this weekend. Okay, one more thing, though. Um, of all the new rules 
that the uh, the PWHL has come out with, whether it was no trapezoid, and man, was it ever refreshing to see goaltenders come out and play the puck uh, below the goal line. Uh, three points for wins, shoot, um, shorthanded goals, ending penalties, uh, five shooters in the shootout. Players can shoot multiple times. We don't have to go through everybody plus the mascot until we get to the the, the elite shooters again. Um, which of these new rules resonated with you? Okay, from a fun perspective, of course it's the ultimate yeah. power kill. We love that because what what kills a penalty? Yeah. A goal against enduring it for two minutes should kill a penalty. Allowing the other team to score is what kills a penalty. I hate that. So I do love, and I like it's going to emphasize more teams having a more offensive approach on the penalty kill, which we love to see. I think the most exciting thing in a hockey game is a shorthanded goal. It's a momentum swinger like no other. I think it's better than a power play goal. But for me, I do have to give the edge to the point system. I think they get it right. The 3-2-1 point system is absolutely the way to go. I think it makes games more important Mm -hmm. in regulation. It puts a little less emphasis on the shootout like we all like. It's kind of... It, it's a difference maker. And when you have few teams, I think it makes a lot more sense to have something that can differentiate the teams a little bit further. But that's the rule I could see mm-hmm. other leagues taking note of the most. Last one, and then I want to move on to the NHL here. What did you make of the play itself in the first three games? Now we've seen all the teams. I loved it. I mean, we're seeing the best in the world. To see in the third period the adjustment of having Elena Mueller play with Hillary Knight for Boston was exciting. Nicole Hensley was absolutely crushing it. We're seeing Aaron Frankel across the ice from Nicole Hensley, which is super exciting too. I really love what we're seeing from the New York team. For me, they are the sneaky team to watch. I think Minnesota's stacked. I think Boston's Mm -hmm. totally stacked. But New York is that sneaky team for me that I think is going to be really good and really hard to play against. And I love what we're seeing from Ottawa too because I feel like they are the team with the most wild cards out of everybody. So I think that we got a good display of skill and speed and that best on best. And now I want to see how it goes as teams, you know, find chemistry together because it's it's just like any other expansion team, right? You're coming from nothing. It's not a team that you had a roster for that you just adjusted and you need to tweak things to make everything work. This is from scratch. So I mm. am so excited to see where it goes from here. Fascinating. Uh, Okay, to the NHL, let's talk about contenders and pretenders. Um, You know, right around this time of year is where you start to see activity in the NHL because this is where teams really understand what they have. They've had a look under the hood. They know what the the guts of the team look like. They know what changes need to be made. Uh, They know what they need to do for this year, for subsequent years as well. And there are some teams, though, however, that are in that kind of mushy middle where you're not quite sure, are they a contender? Are they going to go for it, playoff spot, or are they just going to choke by the end? Um, When you look at some of the teams that were considering being contenders in both conferences, who are the paper tigers? Who are, who's phony? Who's fool's gold here? All right. um, Should we go off the bat with a team like the Pittsburgh Penguins like they're a fringe team right sure. now and I don't see I don't see contender from them. I think they were a team I expected to be a contender and a lot of us did after their Carlson trade, but they're a team that stands out as a pretender and so do the Devils right now. Do I think I think the Devils have a better chance of being fine than the Penguins? But to me I look at both mm-hmm. of them and go there are very clear flaws that sometimes you can just play through it and the Kings will work themselves out. I think in both their cases, they need help. I think Pittsburgh needs help with some forward depth, which was a problem last year. And I think New Jersey just needs a goaltender. 
Um, and do you, but don't you think New Jersey also needs one more defenseman? Like, I, I keep coming back to this idea that the Dougie Hamilton injury is the biggest story that nobody talks about. Yeah. Like, it is yeah, such a they're, humongous they're story. He's such a humongous... I, they're, they're, and listen, big win last night. I mean, they, they really handed it uh, to the Washington Capitals, but like, and then jumped into a wild card spot in the process. But it's a number one defenseman who might be gone for the entire season no one's talking about this. Like, I know we focus so much on the goaltending with New Jersey. I get it. They see Vanacek as a backup netminder, Akira Schmidt down to the uh, the American Hockey League, and they're looking for a starter. Um, but I keep coming back to this idea that how many other teams could lose their number one defenseman and no one talk about it? Because that's what's happening yeah. in New Jersey. No, you're totally right. And it helps that someone like Nemec has jumped up, and I think he's been very good. And it also helps that you have Luke Hughes, who's already playing power play one. So that's, you know, an element of their game that's still clicking. But I think when you're the Devils, the strategy that they base this entire team's foundation on going into the year is their speed, skill, and possession game. And when you lose someone that can bring that to a very high degree, it's going to hurt. There's no question about it. This is someone, too, they can just count on to just rip the puck from the blue line and let... Everyone creates some chaos in front after that to, you know, spark scoring plays and offensive zone sequences. And he's someone that's really good at moving the puck up the mm. ice. Like, it hurts to lose that. I think it's not even that they need a direct replacement for him. I think it just kind of stands out that they still could use that depth defenseman. So when he returns, I think someone like Nemich could jump up into a more significant role. And then you can really consider, do they need that last penalty-killing defenseman instead of someone like Brendan Smith on a nightly basis? Mm-hmm. You see, the thing is, I, I mean, New Jersey has more information than we do. I don't even know if he's going to come back. I guess maybe what they do between now and trade deadline will tell us, you know, will, will tell us the story uh, of, of what's happening with Dougie Hamilton. But to me, it almost seems as if you need to get another top pairing defenseman uh, with the New Jersey Devils um, to, uh, to, to, to play with Nemich. Don't you think? I'd be... I'd be calling for Sean Walker every day if I'm the Devils. If I'm most teams that I need a defenseman, he's the one I'm calling about every day over the Hannafin. Over Noah Hannafin? Over, no, over, no, yeah. over Noah Hannafin? Yep. Why not? I, li- I like Noah Hannafin a lot. I think he's going to cost more because of the name recognition. But I think knowing that yeah. Luke Hughes can handle power play one, I would go with someone like Sean Walker, who to me is one of the more underrated right-handed defenders in the league right now and that helps because Dougie's right-handed he is really good offensively he's jumping up into plays a lot more and you're seeing the Flyers encourage that which is kind of like not what you'd expect for John Tortorella but it shows how much he can trust someone like Walker and he's so strong defensively and I think he's doing it in his own right he's an element of versatility to that Flyers team he can play in any pair any situation and just crush it like to me he's the one everyone should be going for plus he has a super inexpensive cap hit so if you're going for that rental he's the one to go for so here's what I wonder about New Jersey. There, there's one name that I really wonder about because if you're going to get someone, like if you're going to go out there, Shana, and get a netminder or get another defenseman or maybe even get both, you're going to have to give something up. Um, it's going to be a combination of you know players, prospects, picks, all of that. We've all heard. We, we know what the prices are out there. You know the one guy that I wonder about here? Dawson Mercer. Holt? Oh, well, there you go. He's a good name Dawson to wonder Mercer. about. Dawson Mercer. 
I really well, wonder about Dawson Mercer. I mean, listen, one and one and two up the middle is set. It's it's Hughes and Heischer, and listen, you know how I feel about about both these players, specifically Nico Heischer, who just had a great game again last night. Um, but Dawson Mercer, uh, sometimes a center, sometimes a winger. What is he? Who is he? Had a great game last night. Uh, for the New Jersey Devils. Like, I know that Holtz might be one of the more obvious ones, but I don't know. I, I, I can't help but think, and he's an RFA, so he's doing a new contract at the end of this season. I just wonder if, you know, if New Jersey's going to fill one of these holes, is it going to cost him someone like Dawson Mercer? I think it's a good question to ponder because with Holtz now, you're finally selling high. But on the other hand, you got him to this point to just release him. I feel like he has the finishing talent a team like New Jersey yeah. needs. For Mercer, it's so tricky because I feel like there's been so many different tests for him throughout his career, right? Year one, it's you have to step up because Jack Hughes is hurt, and he absolutely thrived doing it. Last year, he was playing so well on the wing with Nico Heischer. You're playing him in an off position to keep him in a position to succeed in that top six. Otherwise, you're on the third line. And even when he's on the third line, he's not driving play enough as a center, which is why he's still playing on the wing there with someone like Eric Howell down the middle at times. Like, that's not ideal yeah. to me if you're contemplating signing him because are you signing him as a winger or are you signing him as a center? We know in this league, centers tend to be worth more. And yes, it helps to have that versatility yep. and that option. I think that's a great weapon to have to know if Hughes got hurt tomorrow, he could slide right back to the middle or the same with Heeshear. And they've dealt with injuries yeah. to both already this season. I just look at it and think they might be overpaying him or they pay him a bridge deal because they can't afford the big contract right now, which is going to burn them in a couple of years if he pops off. So for mm -hmm. me, it's just a slippery slope with him that it could make sense if you're not going for a rental. If it's someone that's going to help the long term picture, he could be a definite trade piece. OK, let me swing to the Western Conference here quickly. Uh, all season long until recently. Uh, we've looked at the Los Angeles Kings and said, definite contender. This is a team that could win the Stanley Cup. Eric Engels, our colleague at Sportsnet.ca here, picked the Los Angeles Kings to win the Stanley Cup this season. And that prediction was looking pretty good for most of this season to start. Are they, however, a pretender or are they still a contender for you? I think they're contender, but I think that they have stuff to work out. And I think now is the time you want to have that conversation. What needs to be fixed before the deadline so you still have a chance to improve? Mm -hmm. And you have some time just to make strategic changes if you need to, right? For me, I look at them and I go, they are built to succeed in a very specific way. And it's relying on the defense above all else, right? They have a really deep blue line. When it's totally healthy, that's going to be great. Yeah. The forward group, they're finishing their chances unlike last year. So that's a step forward. Although... Your big addition, Pierre-Luc Dubois, is one of the worst finishers in the league compared to the shot quality he's creating. And the shot quality he's creating isn't even where it should be. So that's a mess that I think they can figure out a way to resolve, but it's obviously not an ideal situation. To me, my questions still kind of stem back in goal, which isn't what's hurting them the most right now. It's can Cam Talbot keep this up all season? I am so impressed of what he's doing. I am so surprised he's playing yeah. at this level consistently i think he is you look at their penalty kill and the penalty kill has been good but he is the game breaker on it he's the reason it rates as highly as it does but at this age and mm. what we know of his recent years can he keep that up in the second half because i don't look behind him and go you have a great option we saw how copley struggled before he was injured it just isn't ideal yep. to me so they're a team that's got to get creative with very little space i think they'll be fine if they but it's the margins are so thin for them because they don't have a lot of cap to work with 
Do you, uh, I'm just talking to Corey Mastisak a couple of seconds ago about the, uh, the Colorado Avalanche. And if you have a look at that central division, I want to swing back to the Metro in a second. If you look at that division, uh, I mean, the top three in the last 10 uh, records are pretty much identical. You know, at times we've said the Winnipeg Jets are the best team in this division. At times we've said the Colorado Avalanche are the best team in this division. Other times we've said, no, 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 silly. It's the Dallas Stars. How do you look at those top three teams? You know, tonight we've got Colorado and Dallas going head to head, one of 13 on the board tonight. How do how do, you, how do you look at the top three teams in the Central this year? I still put the Jets below Colorado and Dallas. And I'm I'm the first to say I was wrong about the Jets this year. They're way better than I expected. And some of it's mm-hmm. Connor Hellenbuck. He's one of the best players in the league in the month of December, without a doubt. Um, but we know he's always elite, right? Like, I think the fact that you have someone like Velarde st- stepping up with Kyle Connor is so big for them. And if they... If, you know, Velarde stays healthy. It's going to end up having a deeper top six when he returns, and all of that's great and wonderful. But I think Dallas is more is, is more well-rounded than them. I think that they have the potential to be one of the best teams in the league. I think that they've been very good to start, but I still think that there's another level they haven't hit. Maybe if they get another depth defenseman, that'll help, although Thomas Harley, I think, has really picked up mm-hmm. the slack where they need it. Um, I think it's the deepest team we've seen them have, though, in a while, and they were such a great contender maybe the quietest contender of last season too, but they were such a great contender last season. Yeah. I think that they're better than that. And then you look at the avalanche and you go, they're still the Colorado avalanche. Nathan McKinnon is one of the best players in the league. He is an MVP caliber season right now. I think that when they're a little mm. healthier too, you know, I think that they'll still be one of the teams to beat. And I think that they're one of the smarter teams. I think they're a team that they're very careful when they add, you know, if you look at the big trades that they've made, they know when yep. to go for it. So if they go for it again at the deadline this year, it kind of tells me like they know what they're doing. They're a team that I would trust to go after a bigger acquisition if the timing is right. So for me, it's Dallas and Colorado with Winnipeg right below them. But I think that they're like firmly in that three spot versus everybody else. Who would you rather see in the opening round of the playoffs? Uh, the Winnipeg Jets facing off against the Los Angeles Kings for the obvious, you know, Velarde and Pierre-Luc Dubois reasons, or the Winnipeg Jets and the Minnesota Wild? I mean, everybody wants the spice of the Jets Wild, right? Like, And it's before this season. That is a matchup for me for, me, for the last few years that it's like, I'm getting up for that one. Like, I, I know I want to tune into that one. That would bring the chaos that everybody wants to see in a first-round matchup. Without a doubt, of course, that would be fun. And the Wild are a team that, as much as I like the Wild, I think everybody has their feelings about them. They're not the most exciting team or this or that. So if that could bring a little bit of spice to the mm-hmm. matchup, especially because last year their round one was maybe the worst series of the entire postseason. Like, that could bring <laughs> the entertainment value that I think hockey needs, especially in a league that says, like, the game has to market itself. So there you go. That's the game to market with. Uh, let me let me ask you about uh, about that Minnesota Wild uh, Winnipeg Jets situation from the weekend, specifically uh, Ryan Hartman and, and Cole Perfetti. It was a pretty uh, spirited edition of the locker room last night on Sportsnet uh, with Jennifer Botterill and Jamal Mayers going at it head to head over uh, what's right and what's wrong and what's the code and should there even be a code and is the is a cross check in the hip the same as a stick in the face? Um, how did you see the entire Ryan Hartman situation with Cole Perfetti? I don't think cross check in the hip is the same as a high stick in the face. I think that if the NHL is upset about this right now, the only ones they have to blame is themselves. I think when you put a home and home game of division rivals like that, especially when they have a history of games like this, 
You know what you're looking for. The NHL puts games together like this because it gives you that simulation of a playoff series. Teams see each other a lot in a very short amount of time, and they're going to hate each other. Watch how violent it's going to get. Like, that's yeah. the selling point. We're, we're not... That It's obvious. That's what it is. So I think that they can't be upset that things went down the way that they did. Um, but... Mm -hmm. I think that the referees this year and the officiating, I think it's a problem every year. I can't say, oh, this is the worst year ever. I just think we need some consistency. So if they, if they <laughs> want to have more game management, here's the opportunity. There's been so many chances for game management, and we see it kind of fall apart. There was that weekend, you know, earlier, what was it, last month with Gus uh, Branson and Nick Cousins and that whole mess. And it just kept yep. going on and on. The Perron situation, like these situations, I think, can be avoided if referees want them to be i know you're gonna miss stuff that's the human element of it this is why maybe you should have an eye in the sky but i think it, they could have settled this and avoided things from escalating the way that they did but i don't think the two situations are equal i think i i understand yeah. players might feel the need to police themselves especially if nobody else is going to do it but isn't that what you're trying to get away from it's not that the league shouldn't be physical mm -hmm. and tough but this isn't the answer to me you know, it's interesting. You know, you mentioned a couple of things there. There was that one violent weekend where there was the epidemic of players getting hit from behind, and that still continues. Like you mentioned uh, a couple of seconds ago with uh, Nick Cousins and Jason Zucker. We just saw that Zucker gets the three games, but leading yep. up to that, Cousins, you know, hits Yusuf Valamaki. He's on his knees. He doesn't get him like right in the back, but it's like a hit from behind the boards, and Valamaki's on his knees, which you don't really like, and you can understand why Jason Zucker comes in. And then Gustav Forsling jumps in on top of all of that uh, to throw down with Jason Zucker. Uh, you've covered this league for a number of years. You've been a fan your entire life. I was making this point yesterday with Wish. I can't remember a more, and I think I actually think this is a good thing, um, but it's just sort of unique to, to hockey. I can't think of a season that I've covered this league that has been more like a soap opera than this season. <laughs> like, whether it was Mike Babcock to Corey Perry to the hits from behind, like to all of it. Like, can you re recall, because I can't, I can't recall a season that has like this telenovela sort of element to it, the likes of which that I've seen this season. Do you feel the same way? Like, do you, do you wake up in the morning going, oh, what story am I going to get today? Yep. Yep. And it started from day one with the pride tape and everything like that. Like, it, that was the foot the NHL That's got That's the other great they, one. Yeah. 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 They, they got the year wrong that they put out that no soap operas, just hockey vibe. And like, listen. I'm a girl that likes her soap operas. I like my wrestling and my soap operas. It's my daytime one and my nighttime one. But hockey is not supposed to be on the same foot as the other two. And that's what's happening this year. This is the most dramatic season. And in some ways, it's a good thing, right? Because we're talking about it. But I think the ways that I we're do. talking about it. I think it's good. It, yeah. Ish. Yeah. It's good-ish. We shouldn't be talking about it. The, the mm. pride tape, you know, storyline, overshadowing, puck drop on the season, I think was not good for the league. I think that... But having the drama of these, like, you know, high-octane games, that's a good thing. If we're talking about rules, it can be a good thing, right? If it's if we're constantly going, though, best sport, worst league, because everything's broken, then we have a little bit more of a problem. But I think it just it needs to be the right kind of drama, and I, I think that they need to uh, find a way to kind of harness it a little better. Okay, I've got about four, maybe five minutes until your colleague Allison joins the program here. So, and it's probably not enough time to ask this question, but you know me, uh, what the hell, I'm going to ask it anyway. Shana Goldman, sort out the Metropolitan Division, please. It's a mess. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, okay. So you have the Rangers. They're good. 
They're the one team you can firmly yes. look at and say, they're good. Do they have things to work out? Right. Yes. The loss of Heedle, the loss of Kako, definitely challenging for them. They need more scoring depth. They have two fourth lines. Maybe Brenneth Othman, who was just called up, can add a spark while Pitt looks out. Yeah. And then they have a couple kinks to work out with, you know, their defense. But I think that they're going to be fine. And Chesterkin at the right time of the season will remember he's an elite goalie. Not worried. Everybody else, you got some more issues. It's not so clear cut. Um, Carolina, if I'm them, I'm getting a goaltender. First and foremost, even if they think Frederick Anderson's coming back. I think Kochekov's found his footing after a really bad start to the year. But I would be concerned yep. about Ronta, who generally is good when he's healthy. That's not the case this year. And the defense has been so good in supporting their goaltenders that when you see them responding this poorly to your workload, you should have a you know a concern for a team that constantly has the high expectations and constantly seems like the team to beat. And then when push comes to shove, they're falling short. So I think they'll make the playoffs, but I think that they're going to need help to be a contender once April truly rolls mm. around. Um, everybody else is so messy, though. So who who do you want to start with? <laughs> well, give me a, give me like a, a hot 30 seconds on the Washington Capitals. And if you can carve out maybe 15 of those seconds uh, to talk about Alexander Ovechkin. I know time management is not a strength of mine. I'm not sure if it is of yours. But if you <laughs> nope. can do a hot 30 Allison. on the Washington Capitals... <laughs> do a do a hot thirty on the on the Capitals because like, first of all, great to see Max Patch already back uh, last night. It's been arduous after two Achilles surgeries, but uh, thoughts on the Caps? Sort out that mess right now. They, they are a team that I think they went into everything at the deadline last year so right to retool on the fly and underwhelm me so much this summer. So it's not a surprise that they're here. The goaltending from Kemper and Lindgren mm. has helped them out a lot. The fact that they can win games when Alex Ovechkin isn't scoring goals is important. Are they a contender to me? Absolutely not. Do I think they're going to become one even with the return of Pacioretty? No, but I think that he's a big help. Their center depth is what's going to crush them. No doubt in my mind. And the fact that they don't have enough support around Ovechkin, I think that he can still be a top scorer in this league. Um, not to the degree of a Matthews at this point, and that's totally fine, but he needs players to support him to get there, and he just doesn't have that. I think that's why he's not scoring as much on the power play. He is the focal point. You don't have to worry if you focus too much and cheat towards Ovechkin that you're going to get beat in four different ways, and now you don't have that concern. And I think that they need to adjust their tactics. I know he likes to accept passes from the point. He shouldn't be. He should be teed up by lateral passes. When he scored with his one-timer last Saturday night, it was a lateral pass. That's not what he's accepting this year. It's all from the point. It's much more readable, and the goalies can respond to it. So it's not a surprise that they're in the situation. It's somewhat fixable, but to be a fringe team mm -hmm. at best. The um, the Ovechkin phenomenon is interesting, and I think you know, and rightfully so. This question is whether now he's going to actually catch Wayne Gretzky. Um, I never thought that. First of all, I never thought we'd be talking about Ovechkin catching Gretzky, and then once it became obvious that he was going to catch Gretzky, now that it's softened, I can't believe that I'm saying here, sitting here saying, you know what? Maybe we should be looking at Austin Matthews and saying the guy that's going to catch Gretzky is playing with the Toronto Maple Leafs right now, not the Washington Capitals. What do you think is caught up to Ovechkin? Uh, is is it just age? Is it talent around him? Like, you know, as well as anybody, like no matter what Washington does, they are going to turn this organization upside down. So Alex Ovechkin can break this record. Like un until that happens, all bets or all rebuilds or whatever is off for the Washington Capitals. What has happened here? Like, once upon a time, even if Ovechkin didn't score, it would be a big hit or a big play or a million shots on goal, and he'd be exhausted by the end because his shoulders are falling off. We're not seeing that anymore from yeah. Ovechkin either. I almost wonder if he should have curbed that physical play a season or two sooner, to be honest, to kind of, like, 
add that mm. stamina in the long run. Um, look, we know that volume shooters age better than snipers, so he has that going for him, but physical play can take a toll. Yep. And the other odd part is we know power play scoring tends to work out better than even strength scoring. We're seeing him be less physical this year, and I think it's for the right reasons. I do also wonder if maybe he shouldn't play 90% of the power play, especially the fact that they're not doing a very good job keeping pucks in the offensive zone, which is forcing him to skate back, and he looks completely gassed by the end of that almost two-minute shift. I get the idea of keeping him out that long, but I think you have to wonder if it's truly for the best. But the other part of it is the support. It has to be. You look at even strength, and he's playing a lot of the time with, you know, Dylan Strom and Kuznetsov. Strom's passing rate is down from last year. He's more of a shoot-first player anyway. It worked out last year. It's not this year. Kuznetsov's having a bad season. It's not working out. Maybe Connor McMichael, who I know they've tried, moving him up a little bit, you know, back and forth. They did the other day, and it didn't last. But maybe he's someone that could be a little bit more of a playmaker. But it feels like they need a pass-first player that can just play with him and feed him pucks. That's what he needs at this point in his career. And I think from there, he'll be fine. Um, maybe having Pacioretty on power play one is going to create a better scoring threat across the way. And maybe that kind of diverts some mm-hmm. attention away from him too, which will help. But we all know what Ovechkin's going to do. He's going to stand in his office. And they've tried a couple other positions for him. Yeah. Like they tried moving him to the slot and he looked completely lost there. I think if you're going to play in that position on the power play, you should be a little bit more defensively inclined and he's just not that, which is fine. But I think if that's what they want to do, they need to do a better job just maximizing him at this point, and they're not doing it. You have to put in more work to deal with those inevitable effects of aging. Are you like me? Do you have hockey chaos dreams? Like pure hockey I mean, chaos dreams? Because I have one sometimes. for Ovechkin. You want to hear it? Yeah. Okay, here's my hockey chaos dream. Because Ovechkin's struggling to get to the record. Here's the way to solve it, and tell me this isn't like the most chaotic way to get there Malkin goes to the Capitals to get Ovechkin the record now everyone in Pittsburgh listening right now is horrified (laughs) that everyone in Pittsburgh is horrified at the sounds of that in theory it sounds fun I think from a vibes perspective you're doing the most for Ovechkin (laughs) but I look at Malkin and go that's someone else to eat up the shots and like on the one hand I'm saying you need someone else to shoot on the power play so there's that other scoring threat but for me, as great of a player as he is, he's not like that elite playmaker. The chaos, the mm-hmm. chaos would be like moving him okay. to play with Crosby and getting someone like that to team up. Because Crosby's an unbelievable shooter, right? We all know that. Crosby is such a good yeah. passer. Like something like that is what I feel like he needs. Oh, I just can't see that one. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you, you. I mean, I know how much you love your your pro wrestling, and you know my you know my wrestling background as well. But the uh, the mega powers coming together for one <laughs> record to defeat Wayne Gretzky, Crosby, and Ovechkin yeah. to take over. Maybe you know what? Maybe that is the ultimate chaos dream, the ultimate hockey chaos dream. Yeah. Crosby and Ovechkin together to beat the uh, the Gretzky record. Hey, you might be onto something there, Shana. But in Pittsburgh, I don't see it in Washington. Crosby's not going to Washington. If you if you're making it happen, you're sending Ovechkin elsewhere. That's the thing. The, the ultimate hockey chaos dream of Ovechkin getting this record is not in Washington for me. Wow. Okay, that's a good one too. On that one, we got to end. Um, Allison's coming up here in a couple of moments, so uh, I got to punt with you. Okay. Have fun with her. 
There she is, the great um, Shanna Goldman from the Too Many Men podcast and from The Athletic as well, uh, regular here on the program. Check her out, Hey Shay, uh, on Twitter X. Uh, from there we go to her uh, her colleague, Allison Lucan, who covers the, uh, the Seattle Kraken, coming off a big win at the Winter Classic. And don't look now, but all of a sudden, Seattle Kraken is stringing together some wins. Are they actually good? We'll ask Allison that coming up in a couple of moments. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Keep it here. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Let's get on the uh, Seattle Kraken page, shall we? It's been a big week for the Seattle Kraken. Big win at the uh, Winter Classic over the Vegas Golden Knights where all eyes were on. Joey Decord, that's right, was out. Standing uh, in that game, the first shutout ever at a Winter Classic. Allison Lucan knows that. Root Sports Northwest broadcast analyst, Seattle Kraken contributor, and one of the co-hosts of the Too Many Men podcast. We just heard from Shana Goldman, so she's set the table for us here. Allison, are you prepared to go one better than Shana? I, I don't think that's possible, Jeff. Shana is the gold standard, but I will try. <laughs> okay, I, you you always listen. You always clear the bar. You always clear the bar. Uh, <laughs> as did Joey Decord at the uh, at the Winter Classic on, on January the first. I mean, going into going into this one, I'll be honest with you, Allison. I thought, listen, Seattle's going to put on a first class show. We know that about Seattle. There's going to be a lot of surprises. That's Seattle. A lot of it is going to work. That's Seattle. It's going to be impressive. That's Seattle. But I thought the problem is going to come when they drop the puck because this Vegas Golden Knights team is a killer and can go into uh, go into a team like a hog into truffles and you know slice and dice and next thing you know it's goalie pool goalie pulls and an embarrassing score quite the opposite happened um, before we get to the pageantry of the Winter Classic and everything that Seattle did what did you think of the game and how impressed should we be at Joey Decord yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you, Jeff. This is a Vegas team that the Kraken have, for their entire life, had trouble with. They have not found a lot of success mm-hmm. against the Golden Knights. And so I was hoping to see a really good competitive match and see the Kraken bring their best. But I thought that the ice probably slowed down the Golden Knights a little bit. They've been on a little bit of a bumpy road of late while the Kraken yeah. have been ramping up, and that confidence helps. And To get that first goal, I think that really settled everything down. And from there, it was the defensive structure in front of Joey and, and of course, his tremendous play in net. Mm -hmm. You know, if... um... If, if you would have told 20-year-old me, okay, put yourself in, in 20-year-old Allison here, okay? So if you would have told 20-year-old Jeff that one day the NHL is going to play this annual game outdoors, I would have said, cool, that's a home run idea. I really want to see that. And then if you also told 20-year-old Jeff that, yeah, and one of the games is going to be Vegas versus Seattle, I would have said, huh? What would have happened if I told the same things to 20-year-old Allison? I think it would have been completely mind-blowing on a lot of levels and I think it's a it's a testament to how the game is growing and reaching new fans and I think that that was so evident you had almost 50,000 people in that ballpark just cheering and loving the day and and I was really impressed with how the league and the Kraken put on a show that 
you were in a Kraken world without it being obnoxious and oppressive. And the experience was so great. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, there's people talking about the ratings and this and that, and I understand that, but this is how the game grows is it grabs bites in different parts of the world that maybe weren't as passionate about it in the past. And the event was a roaring success, not just for the game, but for the city. And I think that only bodes well for the future. You know, as it's interesting they bring up the TV ratings. I know that they were soft compared to what they wanted, but I always I look at this Winter Classic event. And like I've turned around on this on the Winter Classic so many different times. Like I remember watching the uh, the Pittsburgh Buffalo Snow Globe game, uh, as we call it. And I remember saying to myself, "Okay, you know what? This is really great, but you know I don't know that we want to do it every single year. Maybe treat it like an Olympic cycle and do it once every four years and really make it special." Since then, I've completely turned around on it. I mean, it took a couple of years. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm I'm on board with them doing it, um, uh, doing it every single year. Really like it. Um, and lately, I've cared less. I find, you know, uh, my boss is maybe horrified to hear this, but I find that I care less and less about the TV numbers around it just because the live event is so special. Like, I'm way more interested in what that's going to do to those fans in that stadium at that time, how much more it attaches them to this game than how many hungover people watch on January 1st on their couch. Do you feel the same way? I, I absolutely do. And I had been at many major NHL events, drafts, all-star games, you know, outdoor games. The minute that the teams took to the ice the day before the game and had their practices and came out, you know, wearing their toques, taking their team pictures, and then those family skates, I think that's when the magic turned on. That was when the switch flipped. And you could really feel that you were in a bubble of specialness and people talk about the nostalgia. It's not just that. It's the opportunity. It's the excitement. It's you see these players and their loved ones kind of turn back the clock. You see little glimpses into when they were little kids skating on ponds or when they're showing their little four-year-old little baby Brian Dumoulin was the cutest thing I've ever seen on the ice. Just stick on the (laughs) ice, hard on the puck. And and just, you know, you see coaches skating hand in hand with their partners. It's that was when you realized you were part of something really, really special. And, oh, a game was played, and it's great that the home team won, but it was a really magical 48 hours that I was really, really honored and proud yeah. to be a part of. It's, um, you know, like I was saying all weekend, you know, it's it's become one of those things where players, you know, when they join the NHL, you know, you have your, your dreams, right? Okay, um, uh, first time I was drafted, first game that I played, first contract I signed, first goal that I scored, uh, winning the Stanley Cup, there's all these boxes you want to check in your career. And playing in the Winter Classic has very much become one of those boxes uh, that players check. And, you know, it, it was interesting. Elliot and I had a chance to catch up with Jack Eichel uh, for the podcast. And I asked him about, you know, ice conditions and just conditions of um, of the rink itself. And he said something that was really interesting, and I haven't heard a player say this, uh, but now I think I'm going to ask every single player this. He said, underneath the ice, it felt soft. Like, I would imagine it might feel a little bit, uh, maybe like, a, like a, I don't want to say it's like a trampoline or something, but he said, look, like there's, there's grass or turf under this here. Like, we're used to playing on a rink where there's a concrete slab, and it feels really hard. So it took a little bit of time to get that feeling of how am I going to skate on this, considering you don't have that 
concrete slab foundation that you're normally used to skating on. What did some of the players say to you about, I don't know, whether it was the ice quality or sight lines? You know, this, we always hear players talk about how, you know, the angles are a little bit off because there's no fans that are right, you know, on the glass looking. So you look up and it might feel a little bit uncomfortable. What did some of the players say uh, to you around you about the, the conditions on the first? Yeah, you know, the, the guys said that the ice was actually better than they had expected it to be. Mm-hmm. I thought what was really interesting is the day before in practice, Joey Decord talked about how he spent a lot of time having pucks flipped to him because he needed to be able to track that puck against the sky and he needed to be able to see a puck against a different background. You know, those crowds are right up there against the glass and they create such a contrast yeah. for the players to find the puck. And I thought what was really interesting after the game is guys were talking about how you had to almost counter against the delayed reaction of the fans because they weren't right there. You know, there might have been a save or an almost shot or a miss and the player would make the play and then the crowd would go, oh, like two seconds later. And Joey was one of them. He said, you know, there was one time I thought, did that go in? Because he thought he had made the play and then the crowd (laughs) reacted. And so you almost had to counter against letting that reaction change how you were positioning yourself and reacting to the play that was going on because you were actually ahead of what the crowd was seeing and reacting to. It's like when you're uh, when you're on the phone with a friend of yours and you're both watching the same game, but one of them's on a little bit of a slight delay. And like, oh, he scores! Like, wait a minute, wait, score! Well, how far behind am I on this? I know exactly what you're talking about. So, I, uh, Allison, had a chance to talk to to Ron Francis while I was there. Did an interview with him for the pod, and it was good. Um, one of the questions I asked him, yeah, he was. I mean, Ron's Ron's is always good. He's such a tremendous interview. Uh, I just wish he would do it more because he's always a good interview. Um, one of the things that he said, I asked him, you know, who do we not talk about enough uh, on the Seattle crack? And he said Oliver Bjorkstrand. And they went on this big, long thing about, you know, the, the quality of Oliver Bjorkstrand with the Seattle crack. And let me ask you the same question. Maybe you have the same answer. I don't know. Uh, who's the one member of the crack and we don't talk enough about in hockey media? Yeah, you know, I think Oliver, I've had the opportunity to cover literally every single season of his pro career except one. And, you know, this is a player who That's came right, on yeah. the scene. He played, you know, junior hockey actually here in the Pacific Northwest and got known for his offense, got known for that tremendously tricky release. Yeah. And, it, you know, what What I was so thrilled to have the Kraken fans see when he came to Seattle is it's actually during his tenure when Artemi Panarin was with him in Columbus. The two weren't, you know, best friends or anything like that. They didn't send big, spend big study mm-hmm. sessions together. But that was when Oliver really mm-hmm. studied how Panarin is hard on the puck and his ability to maintain control of the puck. And Oliver really spent a lot of time bringing those elements into his game. And so now you can talk about his points because those are finally coming this season. But even last season, I saw him making the smart, small area plays, smart defensive plays that are going to get the puck on cracking sticks, keep it off opponent sticks, Mm -hmm. and try and create scoring chances, if not for him, but for his teammates. And so I think that... This is, a, this is a quiet guy. He doesn't have a lot of bravado to him. Even his game is kind of quiet until, you know, you see that puck go in the net. But it's appreciating so much that he does away from the puck or setting up his teammates. I was watching film from the last game and just some small area plays in the neutral zone, stripping the puck mm-hmm. from the Vegas Golden Knights and turning it the other way or, or a stick check or a body positioning play. Such a smart, smart, smart player aside from the box score that everyone looks at first. 
Okay, I've only got a couple of minutes. I'm going to try to squeeze in as much as I can here about Seattle until my producer says, we got to go. Um, real quickly, tell me that that's not a one and done for these uniforms because I thought they were absolutely gorgeous. And all I could think about is, please don't let this be a one and done. Well, we're hopeful. Some of the players have mentioned to me that they do expect to wear them a couple more times. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm going to take them at their word. I think they're right. fantastic. Those red numbers just pop. They're, they're beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, they really are. Uh, okay, is this team actually good now? <laughs> you know, I think that they've turned a corner. I think that, you know, people will look at the wins and they'll look at Joey Decord and they rightly should. But there was a fundamental shift in moving towards a more defensive posture with this game at the that the Kraken are playing. And if you look at this nine-game point streak that they've had, they've really tightened up defensively. Everything they're allowing has just dropped, almost halved in some cases. And so Joey Decord deserves mm -hmm. every accolade for the work he's doing, absolutely. But the players in front of him have tightened up and really focused first on stopping opponents' attack and then creating. And you're seeing it from the neutral zone back. And I think that is a huge testament to what they're doing while they wait. They've just got Andre Burakovsky back. Jaden Schwartz still is not back. So offensively, yeah. they're not at full power. So I think that they've made some really nice adjustments to play within themselves and find success that way. You know, one of the things that I asked Ron Francis about was, you know, it's our, it's only been, I only got a minute left here. Okay, there's seven Kraken prospects playing at the World of Juniors. Even in two drafts, this organization's been able to put together some quality. I got about 20 seconds for this answer. Can they hang on to all of them as the trade deadline approaches? Oh, for sure. They pride themselves on finding the players no one else notices, and I think this front office would not want to part with their young, young talent. That's the future. It looks really good. Um, Allison, I'm up against it. My producer is saying it. Get out. Um, enjoy the game tonight. The Kraken facing off against the Ottawa Senators. Thanks, as always, for doing this, and Happy New Year. Health and happiness to you and your family. Take care, Jeff. The great Allison Lucan uh, covers the uh, Seattle Kraken, part of the broadcast team as well, and she is awesome. Uh, thanks to Allison, Shannon Goldman, Corey Massasak, Elliot Friedman, and everyone involved behind the glass. That is uh, the very sick Matt Marchese, David Sis, Andrew Adams, and Jen Rolnick. Back tomorrow.